Welcome back to part two of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed part one. Now let's get back into it. I suppose it leads me into wondering where diabetes comes into all this. Yeah. Because I know for you at one stage, you went into DKA and you were considered legally blind. Yeah. Bummer. Do you want to give me some context here? <laughs> yeah. So I was, uh, I was 18 and um, I, it was quite basically, I was working in a shop at the time with my friend and one day I went in and I was like, I can't really see the end of the shop. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, it's kind of blurry. And you know, I, I didn't wear glasses at the time and we didn't really think anything of it. And then the next day it was almost like, it was like, um, like a kind of weird measuring stick in a way. Cause this, the front of the shop was kind of like my base for my vision. And every day it, it was as if it got further away in terms of what I could see. So let's say like there was, a, you know, I worked in an art shop basically. And whereas when I went in one day, I would be able to see the easels on the left side. The next day I wasn't able to see them anymore. And then the next day, actually the paint that was even a bit closer again, suddenly I wasn't able to see that. Um, now there was other things as well, you know, the usual need to go to the toilet, like drink lots of water, but I kind of like, I was, I was 18, I was going out all the time. I wasn't really eating and drinking properly. So, um, you don't really observe these things. One of the other things that happened is that I um, lost a huge amount of weight very, very fast. I kind of didn't really notice. Um, sorry, is there a siren in the background? You're fine. You're fine. The, the lovely Dublin soundscape. Um, <laughs> but I, I actually just didn't really notice because I wasn't really observing these kind of things. I was in college. I was, you know, going out drinking. I was doing a part-time job in an art shop. I wasn't really paying much attention. Um, but... A lot of people actually thought I was struggling with food. A lot of people thought that I maybe had a bit of kind of disordered eating and stuff. But because it was an Irish mentality at the time, nobody approached me about it. Everybody was like, oh, I'm too afraid to say anything. <laughs> and, you know, looking back now, I'm like, you all really should have said something. But um, so then the, I woke up one day in the vision had gotten incredibly bad. And to the point that, like, I couldn't really see more than a few inches in front of me. And even that was really blurry. It was like, I, you know, when you open your eyes underwater in a pool, it was like that times a million. And I was like, oh, and I, I, I remember not feeling great, but I didn't feel terrible. Um, and I said it to my parents, and again, Irish mentalities, and God love my mom to this day, still feel so bad about this. I was like, I think I'm going blind. And she was like, okay, I'll bring you to the doctor on Monday. It was Friday. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, all right, okay, I don't know if this is normal. And I remember Googling like vision um, and something about diabetes came up. And then I read the symptoms and it was like, you know, a, a Lego piece just kind of fitting perfectly in moment. I was like, oh, shit. And, but I, I didn't understand the severity of what that meant. I didn't, I wasn't familiar with DKA. I wasn't familiar with, I just was like, oh, I'm diabetic now. I don't know what this means. Maybe I'll have to take an injection every so often. And um, my, my boyfriend at the time, I remember woke up one morning and I just felt very odd and I couldn't see like at all. Basically it was like, I was like, I, this isn't right. And uh, people always say, well, you're not really freaked out. And weirdly enough, like, it's almost like you kind of go into autopilot when these kind of things happen. You know, if you were, if it was to happen to me now, I'd be freaked. Um, so he brought me to the hospital and I went into triage and sure enough, she did the finger prick. And I remember she just ran out of the room and then she came back in and she was like, you need to go straight through. And I was like, okay. And I, I don't even, my blood sugar was in the thirties. I don't even know what it was, but the ketones were like through the roof. And all of a sudden I was being like hooked up to all these things, you know, and I was like, what's going on? And this woman came in, uh, a doctor, and sat down. And I remember worst bedside manner ever, by the way. So she sat down and was like, you're really sick. 
which is the worst. Why would you ever open with that? So anyway, I was having to have a meltdown. She was like, no, 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 you're going to be fine. I was like, start with that. Start with that. You're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, but she then explained you're, you're diabetic. Like you're in ketoacetosis. It's actually quite serious. Like, and you know, um, then they'd like me hooked up onto all these things, like even like catheters, all the awful stuff. And, um, but my kidneys started failing and because they gave me insulin. I remember the first time that happened, I, they, cause they, they did it, um, intravenously, which they only do in really dramatic, um, kind of instance. So I had my first hypo, but like I hadn't had glucose or insulin in my body in obviously a few months. So I remember feeling like I was going to die. I remember like, I actually had to be restrained because I basically tried to get out of the bed and was like dragging all this stuff. I, didn't, I don't even remember. So they restrained me, which obviously made things 10 more horrifying. And, um, yeah it was really awful and then they kind of calmed me down they're like look you're gonna be okay but we're just not sure what's happening here like your kidneys just have stopped working and i was like oh great i'm blind and now i have no kidneys and then um they just kind of kept me in and then it kind of just gradually got better and you know then you, you know you've been through this they kind of brief you then this is what's going on this is this is the story but the eyesight like i was like am i gonna get this back because even though i wasn't in hairdressing at the time but i was a musician like um and i could play piano without looking but not that well and um, <laughs> then they were like, yeah. I remember them just kind of going, yeah, question mark. So what had happened was um, it's basically the, the glucose had kind of congested the, the, the optic nerves in the back of my eyes. And I did come back. Now, I would still like, I don't have retinopathy or glucoma or anything like that. Um, but my eyes would be very sensitive to, sorry, I'm just going to close that window because it sounds like they're about to break into my house. Um, my eyes would be very sensitive to my blood sugar, though. Like, if my blood sugar goes anything above kind of eight or nine, I'm like, my vision starts to go a bit funny. Um, so it's, it's kind of almost like a like a, a, a telltale sign, though. It's kind of handy in some respects, but it did mm. come back, thank God, and it was actually just overnight it came back. But yeah, it was, it was harrowing, uh, to say the least. I remember being like, wow, that was weird. Sounds like a very dramatic introduction to your new I know. diabetic life connor yeah. being restrained and telling and being told that your kidneys aren't functioning i know i was like they were functioning before i came in here i was like what did you do um <laughs> yeah. and now i'm restrained yeah no it was quite um it was quite dramatic um but i haven't i haven't been in dka since or anything like that and i seem to i got away pretty kind of unscathed in terms of like mm. kidney function eyes all the bits and pieces so Thankfully, um, it was fine because I know some people have gotten damage from DK and everything. So I consider mm. myself kind of uh, fortunate in that respect. But yeah, it was uh, it was quite the entrance. It wouldn't be like me to not go out with like some sort of performance. <laughs> so this was at the age of 18. And you said earlier that you got into hairdressing kind of eight or 1920. Yeah. How did you manage the two? Because we had spoken previously about, about how, you know, diabetes loves routine it's inevitably easier to manage things when you have a consistent routine yeah how does even that fit in today um yeah it's tough so when i worked in salon full-time that was kind of my own gig um it there was times that it was kind of tough but because i was doing a set amount of days and it was sort of like a set amount of like kind of baseline movement and stuff i did kind of figure it out um now something that i didn't realize though for the first couple of years of diabetes that like I thought blood sugar of like 11, 12 was perfect. <laughs> so I was like rocking around. I tested blood if it was 11. I was like, oh, ideal. So I never really was getting lows because I thought that was great. I thought anything under like 16 was perfect. And obviously then very, I, I did the, uh, what's called the, is it the burger program they have in St. James's Hospital. 
and they invited me to do that because every time I went to get, you know, the my burger age, program. Yeah, I know. There's it's, there's one called Daphne as well. I've never heard burger in my life. Connor. I know because I used to think it was Berger trying to be all bougie, and they were like, "No, it's burger." I was like, "Okay." Hmm. Uh, they only do it with a few people. It was brilliant. It's similar to what I assume the Daphne program and hmm. stuff was like. But um, the reason they sent me on it was because every time I got my HBA one C, they were like really not happy. But I just couldn't understand. I was like what do you mean like you know i'm always I, in my head i thought my blood sugar was perfect but it was because it was always around 10 11 12 and they were like no and then again and i, I suppose this ties back into like how they expected me to do this as somebody with adhd i just couldn't do the food diaries i couldn't do and then you know when they're expecting that and i'm like listen i can't be writing down and looking up the cards or something if we've got two clients there and one is bleaching her head one has to be rinsed one's 10 minutes late you know i just wasn't able to do that and when i tried to manage it a bit better then then i did get better at it i kind of just figured out all the tricks and tips and stuff and it was mostly fine um but then you know when i changed routine and started like working only a few days here a few days there that's when i really struggled with it um because i couldn't understand why what i was doing before wasn't working i couldn't understand why i was suddenly having to up my insulin one day and then i'd be in doing clients one day and then it would drop and stuff so it did it definitely made it really stressful but you know what like the, the best thing i did and i don't know if maybe other people struggle to do this because i know some people are kind of a bit i don't know if it's embarrassed but feel a bit weird maybe saying to somebody when you're in a professional environment saying oh my blood sugar is really low actually can i have a minute um i don't know why people get nervous but including myself i still sometimes can be a bit awkward about it but the second i just start saying if i had a client in i'd be like oh my blood sugar is low i have to can you just give me a few minutes they they either are really understanding or they feel so awkward because they don't know what's going on there you're, you're gonna get your time anyway you know what i mean and i don't know why i kind of suppressed that for so long so that made a big difference um and letting people know what to look out for and like that having the can of coke there or um and then obviously i got the the uh, what's it called continuous glucose monitor that really helped and stuff but um it was definitely it's definitely a really challenging job to do it in because like that you might have a lunch that's at 12 o'clock and if your client's late, that's late. If your client comes in and they've 10 times more hair than you thought, that's delayed. If maybe their color is not lifting and then all of a sudden the person that you had to assist you can't assist you because you know, they're running behind, all this comes into play um, and it can really make it very challenging. But like, you just kind of have to own it. You just kind of have to say, well, I can't do that client because I'm not going to be able to like facilitate my health and i'm not gonna and i know that it sounds easy when i say it like that but you will meet resistance i've been in jobs where i've met resistance with that and i've you're just like well if i faint it's your fault and i will make sure i faint and land on the hardest surface (laughs) (laughs) and all of a sudden i'm like oh god okay um so yeah it's about it's about being transparent it's about safeguarding yourself letting people know and the the cgm definitely was was a huge thing for that but it can be you know like when that's working on a salon floor it's challenging but then i work on stage i do seminars that's when it sucks and that's Mm. when you would just have to kind of allow your blood sugar to kind of cautiously go a bit high because it's better to be you know in your 10 or 11 if you're going to be on stage for an hour talking or if you're working on a shoot or if you're working then that's just kind of almost like a slight sacrifice and there definitely is ways you can improve on that um but it's taken some time definitely to kind of figure that out and it's i think i'll just forever be learning about it because you know yourself it'll be mm. i'll probably figure it out and then two months time my body will be different and do something <laughs> else completely out there always keeping you guessing <laughs> yeah a hundred percent yeah yeah i had said to you previously connor that obviously one of my clients is a hairdresser and she uh will be fascinated now to hear about your experience and what you've been up to and how yeah. you even approach certain things but 
is there a way or how do you specifically prepare for a day that you know is going to be unpredictable? Like, is there anything you do different or is it kind of like, I just need to go with the flow on this one? So I'm going to tell you what you should do, but that doesn't mean that I'm very good at doing it. I'm really good at giving <laughs> advice, but I'm very bad at when it actually comes to it. So absolutely um, having a prepared lunch that you've kind of measured out in terms of, you know, what's kind of in it um, is is definitely one of the best things you can do. Um, I did change. And I always chatting to you before about this. So I'm on FIASP, FIASP. I never know how it's meant to be pronounced, which is a faster insulin. So the the pre-bolus is mostly eliminated and i say mostly because sometimes it's not it depends on the resistance of your insulin that day maybe you're not doing as much movement maybe it's cold you know all the 40 plus factors um so fias was definitely a game changer for me in terms of it meant if that hour lunch suddenly became a 10 minute lunch um and i was running behind i would deal way less repercussions of like a blood sugar spike if i could just take my insulin and eat mm. um and it also kind of helped with corrections. That helped. Um, I would always try to have a bottle of Coke just kind of on standby. Um, that definitely helped. Something that I somehow forget all the time. Like my friends always say to me, like they're like, hey, you're diabetic like this long. How are you still forgetting these basic things? Um, and kind of a, a set breakfast. So and I'm sure you believe in this yourself because you're, you're, you believe kind of in routine. If I can get my blood sugar good at the start of the day, it's generally fine for the rest of the day. 100%. You know, so um, I would have the same breakfast nearly every single day. I'd have overnight oats with 60 grams of this, with a bit of protein, and you know. And if I do that um, and have a good night's sleep, and then plus combined with the fact that I've got face, which allows a shorter pre-bolus, and then just have like backups, I'm usually absolutely A1 okay. If I wake up, my blood sugar is too low, too high, or I miss that kind of set breakfast and I go straight into work, and it's a chaotic day. It is just a roller coaster. It's it can be very, very difficult um to manage, and it just becomes really stressed. And then obviously the what's it called I always cortisol, isn't it? Because I always mix it up with cortisol, which is the mouthwash. But, <laughs> but cortisol, you know, cortisol, yeah. <laughs> the stress hormone gets released. Go, everything goes haywire, and it can affect you for a couple of days. Like, um, so it is. It's prep. Everything's prep, you know, and that small bit of routine, and it, it kind of ties back to our whole piece around building that foundation. Mm. Once I have that good breakfast, the insulin, there I think, oh, then it, it doesn't matter how busy the day is. It's, it's going to be fine, you know. So obviously you're super busy and you've hectic days and doing seminars and all these different mm-hmm. things if for example connor things do hit the wall right and it is completely unexpected unpredictable your blood sugars are all over the place mm-hmm. is there any approach that you have to kind of help reset in that moment or what are your thoughts yeah i my thoughts generally are always if it's high like if it's going really high leave it for like an hour and then address but it's you know yourself in the short term high is better than like obviously long term it's way worse but i would try and just kind of like try not be reactive and that was something i think i was talking to you about before i when i got the cgm it was like hell on earth because i was i was like looking at it all the time i was like oh my god and that actually caused most of the problems i was so reactive to it so the first thing is like that i would try not be reactive if stuff's sitting there, if like, if, you know, if, if it's really just not going well. The other thing is, again, just breaking down that idea of like, that we're not allowed to say to people, um, I am not doing well right now or this, because it is, it's your health. Like if somebody started getting sick, like literally just vomiting, you know, everybody'd be like, <laughs> everybody'd be like, oh my God. And you know, everything, everything would be stopped and everybody'd be like, we need to look after you. And I think, cause it's almost in some, in some elements, we almost have a slightly invisible illness and 
people don't understand. So, but it's not, you don't need to make them understand. So it's, it's actually just reassuring yourself and turning around and being like, um, I'm diabetic and I'm really struggling with this at the minute. I'm having really bad issues. Um, I'm going to need maybe like an hour to just kind of realign, or I might even need to go home. I might need to just call this off today. And people do actually get it. And if they don't, you don't want to work with them. You know, like you don't want to be, you don't want to be dealing with somebody who can be putting you under distress. And that actually, even I think having that mentally in your back pocket can be very reassuring because I used to think that I didn't have that as an option. And then I would be getting panicked and I maybe, maybe would be even afraid, like, and I, I sometimes even still do get a bit awkward if I'm like, do you mind if I go get a bottle of Coke? Because it just feels, you feel like you're, you're kind of an inconvenience sometimes. And I totally get that. But it's just breaking that down and, and being able to say that and being able to like take control of that. And then knowing that if that is the option that you're not worried about it and it's not adding stress to any kind of situation. And um, thankfully, I've never had anything like drastically bad happen. I've never like, you know, collapsed in the middle of like teaching or anything like that. And I think because I speak openly about it, I never feel weird saying, it, you know, if, like I just need a couple of minutes. Um, but it's it's just keeping communication up. What I actually think is really acknowledging that actually you don't have to just quietly manage this in the background, I think is one of the most important things. And then not being too reactive, just kind of maybe seeing what's going to happen, where it's going. Because um, the only thing I will say with Fias, sometimes the pre-bolus, um, the removal of the pre-bolus doesn't work. So you could eat something and you're like, why is my blood sugar after skyrocketing 16 or 17 or 18? but it just might've actually not kicked in just yet. And if you react because it's so fast, then it could be an issue. So mm. my two biggest pieces of advice, don't react, give it like an hour, see what's going on. Unless something's going drastically the wrong way. And then just be really transparent about it and be really kind of almost take ownership and kind of claim back that power of like, you're protecting yourself and your health and being like, I can't do this right. <laughs> you know, like I'm, mm. I'm actually unwell and I need a bit of time. And if we need to reschedule or if you're okay to do that, then, you know, that, that really does help. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I'm big on not reacting emotionally to bloods. That's mm-hmm. and I have probably spoken about that hundreds of times on this podcast specifically. Yeah. But also as well, couldn't agree more with you in the <laughs> sense that like the reality of it is it's your health. And mm-hmm. in that moment, in my opinion, there's nothing more important. Yes. Yeah. Just a fact. So that takes priority, whatever situation that you're in. 100% and even like if you think about it if there's somebody who wasn't diabetic in a room with you and they started to go really pale and they started to be like I feel really sick and they started to get really weak everyone would drop everything right because they de- because all that they would see is somebody presenting as like oh this person's going to faint something's clearly very wrong but for some reason as, as diabetics even though we know that actually that it could go that way in 10 times more we feel kind of weird sometimes about announcing to the room and I know it can come down to like you know anxiety you know, nobody likes drawing that kind of attention to themselves we can actually like put ourselves in really dangerous situations just for the sake of like not making what we perceive people uncomfortable or not being an inconvenience and stuff. Whereas I've never really been in this situation. I had one job that was a bit annoying about it. They'd be like, well, how much longer do you need? And I just actually made their life hell then. <laughs> like I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be like, well, okay, I don't know. Like, we, you know, that hard floor I might fall on. Um, whereas I've never really been in a situation, no matter how, like I've been on photo shoots before where like the models are being paid by the second and I've been like, I can't, I need to step away from this for a minute. I'm going to faint. Um, and nearly everyone knows a diabetic person or something. It's funny. Um, and they've been like, oh my God. Yeah, of course. You know, I've never really, it's never been held against me. And if ever it was, I'd be like, well, I don't want to work with this person. And um, I think that's a really big part. It's just claiming it. And as you said, there is nothing more important. It's your health. Like, mm. I've spoken to probably thousands of diabetics in my lifetime now at this stage. Mm-hmm. And I've had hundreds of 
pretty deep conversations with a lot of people living with diabetes and a lot of diabetics out there who it seems to be a common theme, right? That kind of echoes through these conversations. But a lot of diabetics who have a goal or want to prove something or want to achieve something or do achieve great success, it can kind of be amplified by the fact that they have diabetes. And you mentioned earlier on, Connor, that you had that kind of chip on your shoulder, mm-hmm. given the fact that you felt as if the opinion of hairdressing was that kind of dropout, fallback kind of job. Yeah. Did the fact that you had been recently diagnosed with diabetes just prior to starting hairdressing, even up to today, does having diabetes add to that chip on your shoulder? Um, do you know what? Like, I don't really know. I kind of, because I don't think I recognize, even though like, li- like literally went blind, organ failure, <laughs> I still don't think I really recognized as being that serious for the first few years because I kind of just assumed, as I said earlier, I thought if your blood sugar was around 11, 10, 12, you were fine. So therefore I was kind of, I remember thinking, um, this is really easy. I was like, this is so whatever. Like I just take my insulin and I eat my food at the end. And even like, I thought it was okay. If my blood sugar went up to 20, as long as it came back down. Like, do you know, I wasn't told about pre-bolusing because at the time I was on Nova Rapid. I wasn't told about pre-bolusing for the first four or five years when I was diabetic. In fact, I was actively told not to do that. We were told you only did it. Um, you basically had your knife, your fork and your insulin. You didn't take it before. And as long as it went really high, um, as long as it comes down you're fine which we obviously know now is detrimental you know like shreds away all your like blood vessels and stuff so i didn't really recognize it at the time as that much of a kind of um an infringement of my abilities until later in life where i was like well actually this is kind of really important and this is quite challenging real difficult i think i kind of think i don't know if i think it added to my feeling of needing to prove anybody wrong professionally but I definitely think it came into a lot of scenarios um, about wanting to prove people wrong about just having a normal life, if that makes sense. Because I kind of, would again, because you meet so many people and stuff in my industry and stuff, I would have met maybe other diabetics or people with partners who had diabetes or kids who were of the belief that your lifestyle uh, has to vary drastically from, you know, a kind of a typical functioning pancreas person and i think that's what i was more driven to do i went like because i went traveling by myself um now probably slightly dangerous don't know if i'd fully recommend it but i went traveling by myself for about nearly five months and i went through like third world countries and stuff and i remember when i was talking to the diabetic nurse about it i was like what am i going to do with my insulin she was like oh well what you'll do is you just have a backup and whoever's traveling with you will have it and i was like oh no i'm going by myself and they were horrified um but i was really cautious i took so many different kind of um measures and you know and i think the chip on my shoulder was more so not about professionally it was actually just as a general overarching theme of like oh you can live totally fine with this and it's a bit like that it's, it's been really rewarding i've met people who've as i said have been recently diagnosed or have partners and they really do think their life is over they really do mm-hmm. think there there has to be a certain way and sometimes i do think that can come down to the the hospital that they end up in um i think some of them can give you very limiting beliefs and stuff 100%. And I've experienced that myself where I was like, what? Um, so it was more about that, more about being like, oh, look, listen, it's awful. You know, let's let's be honest. It can be really it can be really terrible if you get bogged down by it. And sometimes you can, you know, yourself like if some I always find if something else goes wrong in my life, then it bugs me because I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't have to deal with this. As well. But like for the most part, um, it was just proving to people, actually, you can 
have this as just a habit as a second thought and a background thing and that you can actually it really does only add up to a couple of minutes extra of your day and that's that's all that there needs to be it was more about proving that i think um than professionally because professionally i was already against 50 million different <laughs> barriers that i was like i guess this will take a back seat for now <laughs> i have two more questions for you connor yeah right away. first one is given all of the experience that you've you've had professionally personally financially traveling mm-hmm. setting up business all, all these different things what's been the most important thing you've learned in your life and if you can think of one specific thing what was your life like before learning it and what was your life like after learning it yeah so probably tying back to what i was saying earlier uh, the redefinition of what success was um and i think it came down to like loads of different things as i said like i closed the most profitable part of my business this year to the horror of many um looking a lot of people thought i was having like a mental breakdown and leading up to that was one of the most difficult periods of my life because I in theory if you you know a textbook of what we think defines success in society I had it but I was miserable and I I was like I hate this but I felt trapped because I was like am I just giving up you know it was this whole idea of like am I you know this fine line of what's respecting yourself and your health and what's just giving up because you're not working hard enough and I think because I do have that ADHD background that's always in you know this negative like you're just not able for this kind of thing and that that defining moment where I was just like I don't want to do this anymore um and me and walking away from that and feeling happier despite throwing away what we're told in textbook is success that was a defining moment um and it definitely took some time to settle into but it was the most important thing I learned is redefining what you consider productive what you consider successful what you consider accomplishment it was looking at that and actually pulling my head out of what I'd been living you know and what I've been trying to prove to myself for so long and actually opening my eyes to the 99% of other things in the world that can help create a fulfilling life and what that means to be successful and you know I like that I've I've traveled a little bit in terms of like going um even just in Ireland and stuff where I've just had switched off and just reconnecting I found meditation and stuff all that like having that moment of like this has given me these 10 minutes where I've sitting down this morning to have like a cup of tea and meditate and read some book has given me more fulfillment than seeing something come into my bank account or seeing, you know, um, or selling something out or getting an extra 10,000 followers or like being in this magazine or photo shoot or whatever. So that was it. Like it it was kind of almost before that moment where I made this really expensive decision (laughs) to focus on myself and then there was after and before it was just stress and it was just, mm. you know, you're a failure, you're this, that, the other. But it's because I was looking through a really narrow lens of what that meant. And then there's afterwards, which I'm still figuring out, like it's, you know, only about three months ago, I decided to close that down. And, um, but it's really exciting. It's really like, oh, there's so many other avenues in life that are fulfilling. And obviously, you know, it, I'm in a privileged position to say that I can do that because there's probably people listening that are like, well, I'd love to be able to walk away from my job or I'd love to be able to do that. And they can't at the minute. And that's, I think it's really important to recognize that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to to kind of say that not everybody's in that position, but um, hopefully will be. And it, Or even if they're not being able to create other pockets of their life where they can find fulfillment and stuff. But yeah, it was just really redefining what's important and what I define as success. And that's kind of where I am now. And it's, 
you know, it's great. Like I'm reading books and I am going to have to, like, I am still doing a small bit of work and I'm, I've recently started opening a few days to do clients again because I will, I do recognize I will need to work. You know, I've started to do more courses. I've started working with more brands, but I've, I'm going into it with a very different mindset of what I want to get out of it and how it will um, complement a good life versus beforehand where I was just like success business mm. driven proved everybody that you can be corporate, you know, mega mind <laughs> essentially yeah it takes a i'm sure a massive amount of courage to make that jump to close as you say or make that expensive decision and close mm-hmm. that profitable business down but it also seems as though there's no looking back and you're only going to continue to benefit from it so it's a a great insight to have experienced connor i have to say yeah and like it like that and that's invaluable you know because mm. i i had a conversation with somebody um and it was my agent actually and i was chatting to her about it. i was like i think i'm gonna close it down and you know she was like why and i was explaining to her and then i was like but i'm really struggling because it hasn't failed like nothing's failed and i feel like that's the wrong thing to do and she was like are you happy he's like no she's like then it's failed what's the point mm. and you know she was like if you were to take up all that whatever the income is for the year like if somebody was to say to you would you spend this much money to be guaranteed to be happy? That's what, that's how you kind of weigh it up. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. And like, look, we live in capitalistic society. We're always going to have to work. We're always going to have to grab. We're always going to kind of hustle. But I think when you kind of maybe align it more so at how you can, um, it can be beneficial to the life you want to create as opposed to living for the graft and living for the hustle and believing that there's something at the end of it uh, or like showcasing that you're this successful person in the most basic kind of financial form of success. And um, that's when you'll struggle. So yeah, no, it's been great. It's been it's been really rewarding. It's been really it's allowed me to really focus on things like my health and diabetes, managing that better. And um, I feel like if I do go back down that route, which I'm sure I will, I'm it's coming back to the idea that I just feel like I'm coming from a much more secure um foundation that's not now built on timber. <laughs> hmm. And it goes back to the point that you made early on about and what we were kind of briefly talking about, how you don't feel it's not like you can wait to be happy. And mm-hmm. it's like when you say I'll be happy when or I'll be successful when it's never, it's never going to come. That's the reality of it. And you know, as well, on a really morbid note, I, I remember I was talking about this, but I remember thinking, I was like, if I just stick this out for another year, the next year, like I maybe would have put a bit aside that I, I'll be happy with that and I'd be in a different position and maybe I could take some time off and traveling. And they were like, so are you saying you're going to be miserable for the year? And I was like, well, it's going to be stressful. And they're like, you could die tomorrow. <laughs> you could die next week. It's like, <laughs> like, why would you guarantee misery? Like, why would you? And it's like what you were saying about the small practices. Like, why would you not guarantee small bits of happiness and try your best to focus on that every single day mm. as opposed to, you know, I'll be happy when I get this promotion. I'll be happy when I achieve this. I'll be happy, whatever. Because the really morbid reality is you might not get to that point for a plethora of reasons. So like, why would anybody put themselves through that? And it's morbid, but you know what? Morbid, like stuff like that really aligns with me. <laughs> it, really makes me <laughs> it really makes me be like, oh yeah, actually you're kind of right, I suppose. <laughs> well, it puts things into perspective, really. Yeah, for sure, you know? you know? One more question for you, Connor. Go for it. Right, and I finish any guest's episode with this question. I have had very different responses and answers to this question, and it is a strange one, right? I'm terrified. Go on. Don't be. It's fine. (laughs) If you had the opportunity to thank your diabetes for something, what would that be? 
Um, do you know I actually was thinking about this because I had a feeling you'd ask because <laughs> I, uh, I, I kind of um, I was listening to one of your things where you were saying that you wouldn't take it back which I found quite interesting um, it definitely like it, it 100% gives you an awareness of your body and it gives you an awareness of what it means to be in good health and bad health and it gives you I think I think it gives you a very um, a very quick literal um, realization of like the input and how you treat yourself and what that looks like because we we see it immediately don't we we'll see like if your blood sugar is low you're like well that was stupid i shouldn't have taken or should have, like should have not eaten that fast acting bar of chocolate and taken all that insulin and um so it's made me respect um the decisions i made in health terms do i always live by that no but at least i know what i'm doing is wrong <laughs> at least i'll have an understanding um it's definitely um made me very appreciative when things are, are going well and um, I'm very aware of when my blood sugar is much better and I feel healthier and it, I really relish in that and it really helps elevate my mood and I, I feel like again I've accomplished something you know I feel like I'm and it's it's a it's a rewarding yourself from a self investment as opposed to like you know work type things and then I suppose I suppose that would be it really it's just the kind of awareness of self because an awareness of consequence an awareness of, of accountability with your own body and how to treat it and stuff and I think it spills over into other things because you know a lot of people will let certain health issues kind of creep up so let's say a pain in your back or um you know bad posture or a a tooth issue or whatever a lot of people allow that kind of stuff to, to catch up but people like me and you have seen the consequence of letting that stuff go on too long even if it's only for a few days um so I, I'm very like, if I have something going on with my back, I'd be like, I'm going to get to, I'm going to go Pilates now, or I'll do yoga, or I'm going to go get a massage, or like something's going on with my teeth, I'm going to sort it now. Like, I, I think we're very aware of real life consequences of not looking after your health. Mm. And I think that spills over into other elements. And I think it even spilled over into um, the decisions I made around protecting my mental health and my energy. Um, because there's a lot of people that would have done what I was doing and just kept doing it. And could have had a heart attack or could have gotten really depressed or could have really suffered with that but I think because I know I've witnessed firsthand what can happen when your body is not treated properly um then I I it just always is in the back of my mind with decision making so I guess I, I have to thank that for it just that awareness and that the importance of like how unbalanced everything is and how you really need to look after that great answer <laughs> great answer and i appreciate the honesty and it's again very similar to how i feel about it in the sense that it gives you that inevitable in inevitable greater appreciation for your health and it helps me appreciate the health of other people too which is only going to be a positive so great answer connor i appreciate the honesty thank you where can people follow you find out more about you find out more of your courses and what you do connor yeah, so if you just do Connor with one N, uh, JMD on like any kind of platform, to be honest, I'm really lucky that somehow my username has not been taken across anything, <laughs> like <laughs> anything. I don't know anybody in the world this has happened to. Um, yeah, Connor JMD one N JMD for James Matthew Doyle. You can find me making hair or stupid hair videos or all sorts of comedy bits across instagram tiktok websites hairdressers if you're listening i do teach give me your money i am cool <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah that's it that's mostly it for now like we are building a couple other platforms but they're kind of just cooking away in the background there so come stalk me on the socials cool and i'll add in any socials or websites and all connor's relevant links below in the description so you can check them out connor that was a lot longer than I expected, but I really, really enjoyed that chat. 
and I, really I appreciate too. your time and I wish you nothing but happiness and success in the future, whatever you define that to be. So thanks so much. Thank you very much. Another massive thank you to today's guest. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out their social channels and links that we've included in the episode description. If you enjoy the podcast, which I'm guessing you do because you listen, be sure to rate, subscribe and share. It really, really helps the podcast get heard by more people when you rate, when you subscribe and when you share. If you feel that you've been able to benefit from it so far, likely someone else would be too. If you have any questions or stories for myself and Graham, please do not hesitate to reach out. We absolutely love getting in the email stories and questions. You can do this through theinsalonepodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more from me, stay connected or even work with me and other people living with type 1 diabetes who want to be fitter, healthier and happier within my type 1% better online program, you can message me directly through Instagram or you can fill out an application form through the link in the podcast description. And as always, another massive thank you to you for your time and your ears. We greatly appreciate you showing up each week, time after time, ready to gain knowledge and confidence around your diabetes management. So until next week, have a good day, have a good week, look after those blood sugars, and I'll chat to you soon. Take it easy.